And welcome to Pod Academy. This is the first of the Houston Film Lectures, a series of lectures from the National University of Ireland's Houston School of Film and Digital Media in Galway. The lecture series features leading film directors, writers, producers, cinematographers, and academics. In this lecture, Irish feminist filmmaker Pat Murphy looks at what are the influences on her as a filmmaker, the people, the events, the ideas and the contexts that have influenced her work. Pat Murphy grew up in Northern Ireland and studied in London at Hornsey College of Art and the Royal College of Art in the 1970s. Her films Maeve and Devlin and in 2001 Nora starring Susan Lynch and Ewan McGregor have made her one of Ireland's most important filmmakers. propose the notion of a fixed position of one separate entity affecting the other but however from my experience it might be more useful to speak of the porousness of influence of border crossings or of the non-recognition of boundaries these are all geographical references but I think influence influences are actually like geographical features in a landscape because they operate at different speeds and scales and come under different kinds of pressure like and who knows where they begin their origins are secret and personal. And like sometimes an academic perspective can harden and falsify what has to remain kind of private and fluid. So when I was asked to speak, I, and I began to ask myself, okay, well, what is an influence? Like, first of all, there's a sort of resistance to talking about it. And then I thought, okay, I will approach this from the point of view of asking some very simple-minded questions. Um, like, I think when you're a child you're like a landscape open to the rain. You can't control what influences you. So when we talk about influence, do we include this period with this, um, when there's no element of choice? Or are influences the stepping stones that we use as a means of investigating and transforming the questions raised by these earlier pressures? An influence is someone who supports your ongoing questions and doubts. Is work, artwork, an artefact, a film and an experience that we like and feel a connection with, the same as an influence. Is influence um, like seeing a painting or hearing a piece of music and then realizing you will never look at anything in the same way again? Like there are huge influences which challenge and change our direction in, in, in apparent ways, but influence can also be like a casual phrase, something ordinary in the moment, which in retrospect, you realise has set you off in a new direction. It can be like compost. It filters through like rain. In terms of my own influences or what we could be perceived as them from the outside, sometimes I look at them and I realise that they don't actually have very much to do with me at all. I think everybody lives in an interesting time in terms of what they can use as influences in terms of making films or in terms of making art or any kind of creative activity. I was fortunate to live in a time of... like great social change and great challenges that were going on. But at the same time prior, like at the same time as this was going on, when I look back, the things that really changed were like small, very small moments. In, in 1968, in May, I was at school in Belfast and a teaching assistant came in to take over a class 
And she brought in a pile of newspapers and she spoke about what was happening in Paris. And she showed different newspapers and different ways of reporting on what was happening. And I really feel like this was the first moment for me that I realised that the way the media could manipulate information and how language, how what you could remember as something very clear was actually a product of your consciousness at the time, which was being fed by different kinds of information. And also how language actually structured the memory. You know, it was the first time I began to think of images as something that should be investigated. And I think probably from this moment, like rather than being a film school or coming into contact with the work of filmmakers who are investigating film as much as, 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 as being involved in, in the process of filmmaking, like this, this was like a turning point. Like another would have been, I think, at Hornsey School of Art, prior to a time, I think, when feminist art was really being talked about in Britain or whether, before it was really regarded. I had a friend called Jackie Poltock who has disappeared, but I remember her art very clearly. She had a child. She was, the child was about 10 years old. It was an incredible struggle, I think, for this woman to get into the college every day. And none of us paid any attention to that whatsoever. She decided to make art about her child. And what she did was make these tapestries that were based on photographs that she took from the child, where she would embroider parts of the tapestries. And she also made these ceramic streets, like a series of ha- a house that would be repeated to create an estate or to create a street of houses. Like, I realise you're all dependent on what I say here rather than seeing what this was. I remember at the time feeling ambivalent about this work because I remember we had a tutor who, <laughs> who's actually remained a friend but who told me that the reason he didn't like women's art was because it was like knitting. <laughs> And I remember being so offended by that. And then I remember thinking, hang on a second, there's a core of, there's actually a core of reality to this because you're talking about process and um, working with media that are not recognised as being suitable media for making art. And it seems to be me that my friend, whose work just simply wasn't recognised, it was just off the radar in a world where people were making sculpture that looked like Anthony Caro or paintings that looked like Jackson Pollock, and the sense of scale and a unified statement and the thing operating in one piece on a wall or <coughs> occupying one space on a floor was where the big money was in terms of art at that time. And it seems to me that what she was doing in a very, in, like, in a very gentle way, like completely pulling the ground from under the conceit of those large pieces of art making, I think. And then also someone who, um, an artist called Morris Hatton, who one day walked past, who wasn't a tutor, anybody I ever had a conversation with before, who one day just walked past me and I was making masks. I used to have this huge studio in an old piano factory in Fitzroy Road in London and I would make installations and shoot little bits of film and make objects to put in it that would be part of these films. And one day when I was making these masks, he came along and said, you know, you really have to read this book, The Theatre of the World, by Francis Yates. So I went, okay, and went off and read this book. And the whole space that this opened up about the notion of objects, uh, like other books by her, like The Art of Memory, The Rosicrucian Enlightenment, the notion of objects that could be used to trigger memory, objects that could be used to contain whole narratives, the ways in which plays were performed in different eras that encompassed these huge kinds of notions. Like that was, that was very large for me at the time. <clears throat> I think in terms of 
influences. It's um, like you can go on talking like that about individual people, but I think really what we need to talk about here is the idea of permissions and contexts. The search for filmmakers, and I think artists of any kind, is really the search for a context in which to make work and a context which will affect the work. Like something I think, again, is sort of um, goes back to the idea of something being porous, like rather than something fixed and blocked. Like Borman talks, John Borman talks about this in Money Into Light when he talks about his relationship to Ardmore Film Studios. He talks about all I ever wanted to do was to create a space in which I could get my films made. In the sense, his work, like Excalibur and Zardos, and the work that he did at Ardmore, can be seen as this like monumental urge to create a space in which he could make this work. I think when, like to go back, to curl back a bit to what I was saying earlier, when I got to the Royal College of Art Film School, like I don't want this to get too confessional and anecdotal, but I can't see any other way to talk about what I want to talk about. When I was at the Royal College of Art Film School, uh, Di Vaughan ran a course in documentary filmmaking. And this course was really a look at how at establishment documentary and anti and oppositional filmmaking. And the theme that he actually took was work that was being made about the north of Ireland. And for me at that stage, the north of Ireland was something to get away from. Since I couldn't grasp really or work out what was going on, my escape really had been into making notions of, I guess, like to work in a formal art world, like not to deal with those, you know, even though those politics were going on, I couldn't see a way to make it work, even though I had made this small film that was called Rituals of Memory, that was like very much informed by the war in Belfast at the time. But like, I think influence is not only looking at someone's work and seeing how you are affected by it and how you use it, it's also looking at a situation and reacting against it or identifying a lack. And I think what came out of that period was the sense that, that at that time I identified a lack in documentary filmmaking in terms of actually describing or being able to express what was going on in the situation in the north of Ireland in any complex or textured level. There were, at that time, I think a number of ways in which people received information about the north of Ireland. There was a newsreel language. There was um, Panorama, uh, News at 10, World in Action. Those, even when they were investigative documentaries, there was a certain kind of language that was being used about how you know, the, the powers that be go and check out in, on an anthropological level what's actually going on in the place, and then they inform those people with the answer. And even it seemed to me that the oppositional work, which was challenging that, was locked into the same paradigm because it was simply challenging that. Um, and there wasn't, like everything seemed to draw unconsciously on the, on the notion that, uh, the cinema verite notion that because you're there with the camera, that actually is the truth. And not really taking enough on board about what the filmmaker's position is in relation to all of that. So for me, this began to be the point where a number of pieces of work began to come together that eventually evolved into the film made. Like at that time also, like the work of Brecht, and, and the work of Godard would have been incredibly important. And also at that time, while I was at the Royal College of Art Film School, Laura Mulvey actually came there to teach. She was teaching a course in Italian cinema. And I think it was a couple of years after Digital Pleasure and Narrative Cinema had been published. So 
these were kind of groundbreaking times, really. It was, it was um, not hard to respond to them because there were, there were a series of permissions and contexts that are, had already been set up in relation to making certain kinds of work. Where I think there is an issue that becomes a difficulty around the idea of things coagulating into two positions, like the influencer and the influenced, I think it's important, again, to relook at that time, like particularly the influence of Brecht, because the way in which we absorbed his work at that time was around the notion of identification in cinema, about identification with, as a, um, with oneself as a filmmaker, first of all, and secondly, identification with the notion of what the main character in a film was meant to do, like as, as the carrier of meaning in a film, as the person, the figure who the audience was meant to identify with. So, like, this finds expression, I think, in Maeve, where the main character functions as a series of questions. Like, she's not someone... She's someone who basically stops the need for an audience, really, to, to like her, to um, follow a single narrative line with her, to begin a story and end with her. I, I think I read a, an interesting quote from Philip Glass on this. Like, he was being interviewed in the context of the influence of Tibetan Buddhism on his work. And although Tibetan Buddhism has influenced his work, he was very careful not to get into very mystical notions in talking about it. And he spoke very strongly about the influence of Brecht and talked about how Buddhism can address and challenge the notion of a fixed self. But in fact, in terms of being a Westerner, those issues are also there in terms of the work of Brecht because there is a sense in which Brecht raises the question of the cherishing of a self, which I think is essentially what conventional mainstream film does. Like it creates characters that are somehow cherished by the script, that are cherished by the audience. So, um, like these are things maybe that we could talk about at um, a later point. Um, the other thing that I really wanted to say is that influence can be an incredible block, I think. Like part of the work, like despite the work of of film theorists, of film teachers, of filmmakers in terms of creating a context for younger women filmmakers to operate in. I think every woman filmmaker starting out feels themselves to be somewhat isolated. And there's a number of reasons for this. I think this is something that we really do need to talk about because there is at this point, despite the dearth of women's films, there really is a sort of a canon that's become somewhat calcified. And I think at times, like, um, even the few films I have made, because they're so few, then they become put into this canon, I think. And I think one of the things that I think is important is to find some way in which a lineage can be constructed that offers a direction for women so that you know that you're not walking out into a place with no ground. But on another level, where I came across this beautiful phrase the other day, in an article I was reading, and the phrase is the pleasure of unmediated concentration. And it seems to me that that's what a lot of people need to feel when they're starting and when they're making films. They need to feel that they're the first one doing it. You need to feel that you're a pioneer. You need to feel that this hasn't been done before. Because I think at this point, like one is so overwhelmed with all kinds of information and all kinds of imagery that what I find sometimes with the students I'm now working with is that they think, well, where do I fit into all of this? You know, everything has been done. And that really what, you, what we need to communicate is the sense that all of these influences are around, but they haven't really become concentrated in this particular way before, as they are for you.
-hmm. Like, I think filmmakers are actually doing something that wasn't there before and are processing what is a critical perspective on what's not been there before. I also think it's the thing of, um, of Joyce, you know, because, like, I think growing up in Ireland, one is inevitably comes into contact with and is influenced by Joyce. And, like, I think the first film I made, the Rituals of Memory film, would have been actively influenced by Joyce, like trying to find a way of, of working with that notion of stream of consciousness and structure within the context of a film, but also being aware of how deadening um, certain qualities that are associated with Joyce can be. And those qualities are, are like notions of energy, nostalgia, the past, like thwarted hopes, mm -hmm. like all of those kinds of things. Um, and it seems to me that the, like really what he's about is like really... Ex has, has really exploded language and the way the ways in which things can be written about mm -hmm. from that great modernist like period so that um, everything that happens from that just seems to be an echo moving out so like the Nora film gave me a chance to come at him in a more oblique way really so when I've said in the past that I don't think it's a feminist film in the way that Anne Devlin is or that Maeve it's not that it's a post-feminist film because I have a difficulty with that phrase <laughs> It's more that what I was interested, more in a, a way that's slightly dubious, I think. I was more interested in looking at what he was about through her relationship with him. Mm -hmm. um, and that, uh, like talking about permissions and contact texts, one of the great permissions, like somehow the, what, what allowed me to feel that I could make this film was actually Edna O'Brien. Because I remember um, she we had actually started rehearsing the film, rehearsing the film, and there was one day of rehearsal when it just landed with us, like we just looked at each other and said, this is actually James Joyce that we're, we're dealing with here, and everybody froze, like no one could actually go on with it. And I said, okay, well, we'll stop for the day. And when I was driving home, I was listening to the radio in the car, and she was on, there was a series on called The Giant on My Shoulder, and she was on speaking about Joyce, and she was addressing um, something that's been discussed about a couple of years ago, around the time of the Joyce Centenary, where various writers were asked about his influence. Mm -hmm. And Banville, John Banville was saying, no, it was something that stopped him in his tracks. Like, he just wanted to get away from it. And she was sort of addressing this and saying, um, and I felt this too, like when I was younger, like how could you ever write when it's all been done? Like nothing you could ever do would be better, so why even begin? And she was saying, no, 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 this isn't, this isn't where you look in terms of looking for influence here. What you do is you see what you've done and charged with that energy, she said, you then go off and do the same thing. So this, this is actually what enabled me to go back in the next day and go on making the film. Thank you for listening to this podcast, which is from Pod Academy's exclusive series of lectures from the Houston School of Film and Digital Media. There are also lots of other podcasts to listen to at Pod Academy about research in science, politics, social studies, literature, law, and many other subjects. Mm -hmm.